with us uh, an episode from Johnson Seed Company and today we're going to um, talk about Monaco Bermuda grass um, and joining me today is John Lamley um, he has a BS in crop science from Oklahoma State uh, Master of Science in Plant Genetics from Oklahoma State um, he was a research specialist at uh, Oklahoma State in forage and turf grass breeding um, he came to Johnson Seed Company in 1992, so he's been here about 28 years. Presently, he is our research director for the breeding program. Um, he's worked with Dr. Talaferro on releases of Wrangler, Monaco, Rio, Land Run, Iron Cutter, and another that'll be coming in 2021. He also works with our Buffalo Grass and Blue Grama and Zoysia Grass research program. Uh, also, besides the research director role. He is our production manager, and I don't know if um, many people know this about Johnson Seed Company. Um, back when John started, we had 600 acres of, of land that we produced seed on, and now we're over 3,000 acres. And those 3,000 acres, um, we'll raise Bermuda grass, crabgrass, native grasses, wildflowers, and, and some traditional crops like some of our wheats. Um, I, I have learned a lot from John, especially on the Bermuda grass side. Um, people, the questions that I get on the phone or we get here at Johnson Seed, Bermuda grass is, is somewhat difficult to start from seedling. And, you know, um, there's some do's and don'ts and things to think about. So that's what we're going to try and cover here today. Um, so, John, thank you for being here with us today. Um, before we get started, can you give us just a little bit of history of, of the Monaco variety of Bermuda grass that we have? Thanks, Gerald. Um, Monaco was the first seeded turf grass released by Johnson Seed Company. It was uh, developed by Dr. Charles Talaferro, and he came to work to, for uh, Johnson Seed Company in 2006 following his retirement from Oklahoma State University. Um, Ten years later, after... Uh, Several cycles of recurrent selection, uh, Monaco was basically a result. Um, Monaco was, was uh, in fact, the result of the need to improve seed yield and seed quality over uh, the variety we were currently producing, Riviera, which was an Oklahoma State release. I would say consistency of, of yield is probably is even more important. Um, Monaco and another release, Rio, are uh, less influenced by the weather as compared to Riviera. As many of you know, we produce all our proprietary Bermuda grass seed in Oklahoma to preserve genetic integrity. Oklahoma weather, of course, is highly variable as compared to where most of the Bermuda grass seed is produced in the Yuma Valley of Arizona and Brawley, El Central California. Um, they have pretty much continuous heat, dry. They can add water um, and control how the uh, Bermuda grass blooms and set seed versus us where our weather is so erratic that uh, we have to have little different varieties to uh, to uh, make it work. You, you know, John, we um, we still get calls even though we've somewhat um, gotten rid of the Riviera line or variety. And so when I tell people Monaco, you know, the biggest first question is, what is the difference? Can you kind of go over, you know, I know it's technical but a little bit briefly of what the difference is between those two really Gerald from a consumer standpoint there's really not uh, Riviera was and still is a top performing seeded turf grass, 
turf grass variety. Um, as a matter of fact, it was extremely difficult to develop a new variety that was even close to reaching the performance of Riviera. Uh, Riviera was rated to top top of the seed of turf grass Bermuda grasses for uh, for over 15 years um, and still performs great today. Many tried to develop varieties that were superior, but uh, Riviera, as I tell Dr. Talaferro, was really way ahead of its time because it took us so long to find something that was similar to it that had some maybe some improvement on some qualities uh, that we feel were important. The uh, difference really exists in the seed production aspect. Something really the consumer only will see in availability and price. Um, right. Monaco as well as Rio are very similar to Rangren. They flower and produce seed with minimal influence from the weather. Riviera on the other hand was very sensitive to heat and, and especially excess water. As many you know who live here, temperature and moisture is very unpredictable in Oklahoma. Uh, we can prove that this winter. We're usually dry. We're extremely wet. Uh, as the weather went, so did the Riviera production. For many years, uh, we've experienced relatively dry summers. In the last, uh, let's say, five, six, ten years maybe, uh, we've had more... Uh, since basically 2012, 2013, more water in the summertime. And really dry is okay because we have a lot of center pivot irrigation. Hot is okay within reason until you reach those temperatures where the pollen's kill, but that's usually middle of the summer when it's ready to harvest, so it's not really an issue. Um, as I always tell people, I can add water, but those pivots really don't take much of a way or can dry the ground out. And uh, heavy rain on river air production really at the wrong time during flowering or prior to flowering was always a serious problem in several of those years. This really was the primary reason we discontinued it since we have varieties now that respond physiologically different to the many weather stresses in our production area. It is somewhat more complicated than I described so for this discussion we'll just kind of leave it at that and to know that the quality of performance is very very similar uh, but it's on our end that we will be able to make it more available because production is better and pricing will be better also down the line. And I think that's the consumer, uh, whether it be a ag producer or a homeowner, they think that this seed produces every year and everything will be fine. And and sometimes if we're running short or, or there's a variety that's not available, it's because it could have been a harvest issue. So we, uh, we, have, we have our problems, I mean, obviously, like I said, you can look at the weather in the last several years. It's been very erratic mm-hmm. as compared to we always, you know, seemed like as kids, we, we, uh, you know, we get our rain in May and June. By the time wheat harvest was, was done, rain basically stopped. It was dry and dry during the rest of the summer. Then back in September, October, we pick up the rain again. Right. But as you've seen, our patterns seem to have changed. Um, and consequently, that's, uh, we either got to change with it or we just, don't uh, don't produce and so mm-hmm. so over the years we've figured out that if we can kind of avoid some of these stresses that uh, we can be more consistent in our production right another question that um, I receive um, we're in zone 7 uh, 77a and if you look at the USDA uh, hardiness zone maps you know we'll get calls from the northeast um, thinking they want Bermuda until I kind of explained to them that it, it doesn't do re- well in, in certain climates. Can you, 
Um, we'll talk about that, about the cold tolerance, but also, too, another thing that people sometimes don't realize, um, Bermuda in the shade, how it doesn't work well. I think there's kind of really two factors to that, Gerald. Uh, one thing is, is, you know, Bermuda grass is a warm season grass, and when you move far north, far enough north, it's kind of counterproductive to even plant Bermuda grass because your season is so short. So you're going to struggle with a lot of characteristics that typically go with Bermuda grass. Uh, and plus, you know, if it's dormant a good portion of the year, it's really not green and not aesthetically mm -hmm, pleasing. Right. So it's kind of that you have to pick that balance of uh, when you get far enough north, you get into cool season territory, and it really just doesn't have a fit Bermuda grass. Mm -hmm. But in our program, and OSU originally, Dr. Falafero's program was was to push Bermuda grasses further north and improve that cold tolerance, which has been very, very successful. But I think we're getting towards some limitations of just how far north we would suggest people to do it. Right. And, uh, you know, as, and the shade kind of figures into it. I mean, uh, there's places for cool seasons, there's places for warm seasons. Um, really, to be successful in growing most any turf type Bermuda grass, you need about minimum of seven hours for acceptable performance. Some are a little better than others. Uh, there have been a few varieties released that suggest they have better shade tolerance. Um, in fact, they may, um, but I think there's still some questions there. Uh, thing about it is, you know, it's like in your house with houseplants. If you don't, and houseplants are very tolerant to, to shaded areas, but mm -hmm. if they stay in too low a light for too long, they start getting stretched out and stringy. And uh, basically, they call it etiolation of the leaves or stems. It just it just doesn't look right. And uh, basically, you take Bermuda grass, put it in a shaded area. Um, the density is going to be reduced. You start losing some color, and uh, basically, you start losing all the notable characteristics that you planted Bermuda grass for. Right. So really, there's just a place for the cool seasons under trees, around buildings on the north exposures, things like that that really have a fit. But my suggestion is about seven hours and. You know, it'll it'll kind of decide on its own. You can push Bermuda grass plant underneath trees a little closer. It'll the weather's going to dictate, the shade will dictate where that Bermuda grass is really going to survive, and then you can fill in with some cool season grasses. But um, really, just for the sake of our varieties and most varieties, you really need that minimum seven and to have the best performance out of it. And I never knew an actual hour figure on it. You know, I, th I thought four to five, but I can see where the seven would make a difference. I, I think there's probably people that would argue either way, but you have to you have to look at what you accept, what's for you as a homeowner, as a sports turf guy, whatever, what's acceptable performance for what you're right. using it for. I mean, I have Bermuda that grows under some my trees and will go pretty far, but you can tell that gradient starts with the thinning the color difference it doesn't green up as quick um, it just have its issues and really if you want to if you want the better looking performance you know picture of your lawn mm -hmm. is to make that put those fescue or a cool season around the trees and make it look like it's you know and there is some aesthetics to to uh, having some color distinguishing, you know, texture differences mm -hmm. that, that make it more appealing to people than just right. have a stringy Bermuda grass that goes up to the tree and then it just kind of looks unsightly. It's just there. <laughs> it's just there <laughs> yeah. and you mow it and, you, you, you know, it just doesn't look right. Right, and, and all. right. So, so as a 
homeowner, I've decided that, okay, I'm, I'm living in the right area. Um, I, I'm going to be full sun and everything. Um, some things in, in preparation for seeding Monaco, and one that you had mentioned the other day. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot to mention, too, on, the, on how far north one of the things you'd said was the I-70. Can you um, go over that just a little bit, if you don't mind? Sure. It's, you know, a lot of people ask California North, can I really go with, with these varieties? Um, it's an easy question, but yet, to be specific, it's a difficult one. Um, it's it's easy to say our varieties are, are, are really, as far as cold tolerance, between what's been released from Oklahoma State and what we have here at Johnston Seed, they will go substantially further than most the, the commercially available varieties, uh, seeded varieties that you see. There, you can purchase at Lowe's or Walmart or online or wherever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's always exactly how far north, you know. Um, I basically tell people, you just tell me how cold it's going to get that first winter and subsequent winters. Uh, how are you going to be using it? You know, different things like that. A lot of factors that I really can't say. Yeah, you live in the line of Kansas, you'll never have a problem. Uh, I can't even say that in Oklahoma City mm-hmm. because under certain weather conditions, you will have some experienced winter kill even with the best varieties. I've seen it back when there was a blizzard in Oklahoma City. It's been years back. Just unexplained death of Bermuda grass where it was a freezing thawing effect that was just perfect that just took out a lot of varieties. Um, no no real rationale. One, mm-hmm. The best ones died with the worst ones um, in a lot of cases. But uh, it's safe to say ours have better cold tolerance. Um, you kind of look at it as reducing the risk by using the Johnston varieties. You reduce that risk uh, as the further north you go. So, you know, it might be a little risky to have have some common stuff in Oklahoma City, common types that you would buy. Uh, there's some risk entailed there, but, uh, you know, we can move ours to, say, Wichita and as far as Salina. And that risk may be similar because ours has has that built-in genetic mm-hmm. um, predisposition to, to be more winter-hardy. But, um, you know, I, I, I like to throw some rules of, thumbs out, rules of thumb out for people. Uh, when they consider Bermuda grass, especially when they get, you know, past Wichita to the north, basically, and then a line all the way east to the east and west of the coast, um, is uh, you want to, uh, you know, the first year establishment is where you're at the most risk because seeded varieties do not produce rhizomes in that first year. Mm-hmm. So they don't have that added security of if I kill the stolons on top, that they'll come from the rhizomes below. So you lose that the first year. Uh, and, of course, the earlier you plant, the better seed or the better root development you'll get, which will increase your odds of, uh, you know, making it through the winter and surviving. Uh, soil fertility, you know, have that where it needs to be. Uh, raise your mowing height up. It's just like putting insulation in your walls of your house. That more you have that insulation above it, above the ground there, that kind of protects those crowns and those stolons from being mm-hmm. frozen so raise your obviously raise your mowing height up and uh in especially dry years dry winters uh you may want to water in the winter i mean people think it's crazy it's not growing but it's still alive mm-hmm. so you really need to you know keep some moisture don't don't saturate it because then you get that that freezing effect and thawing effect that can cause some some winter kill issues also and if it is saturated in the winter time stay off of it 
because you can crush those roots under certain conditions of the freezing and thawing effect. But in general terms, I-70 is about the northernmost limit, and that's with good management. That's being very careful with it. Most years you're going to be fine, but, you know, it's, it's, there still is a risk. The further north you go, mm-hmm. when, you, when you start reaching those zero-degree temperatures, there is some risk associated, and it's just not temperature. Keep that in mind. It's also soil moisture. It's exposure. There's a lot of things that figure into it that either you're successful or you could have a devastating winter kill. Right. So the further you move out of this traditional, what we call the Bermuda Belt, that stretches through, you know, basically Oklahoma and and, and to the east and west, uh, and then when you get it really into that true transition and northern transition mm-hmm. area, that's when you further north you go. It's just your risk is gets higher. Your success is, it's, is it, it can have some issues. I mean, right. we've got grass that's been there a long time and doing well they'll have a hiccup every once in a while mm-hmm. but in most cases you're not going to have a wholesale kill most of the time you know even with 30 40 percent winter kill you can get it to grow back um consequently you take a you can do that in oklahoma once you get a common type bermuda grass established they'll withstand quite a bit of cold it's just the problem is they'll have to regenerate from those rhizomes which adds basically an additional month to green up. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people want to wait for the grass to really get it green up good for an additional month. It's better just to use a good variety that you know is going to bounce back quickly and take off, and and uh, it's a lot less worry for most folks. Sure, sure. Um, so let's, let's kind of combine two topics, John. Um, one is uh, seeding depth and seedbed preparation, and then kind of go over the once we do have the seed in place, how how so important the watering is sure. on those seedlings? It, uh, you know, really one of the single biggest causes of stand failure is typically they plant too deep. Mm-hmm. You know, farmers like to say, I'm going to plant to moisture. Um, you never want to plant to moisture with Bermuda grass or even alfalfa, a lot of your smaller seeded things, because if you bury them, you'll never, they'll never see the light of day. Um, I try to tell people to keep it a quarter inch or less. Sometimes that's a little tough to do. Uh, but if you leave a little seed on top, you know you're probably not getting too deep. And uh, seed bed preparation really influences us greatly because, you know, you, you don't want it. You want it firmed. You want it worked up. If you do if you do choose tillage, you, you don't want you If you work it up, you want to really firm it back down and get rid of the clods. You want to be able to control that depth a lot by the firmness of the, of the surface. Uh, I like the no-till slit seeders uh, or little drills with depth bands because you can control it without, mm-hmm. without uh, you know, you set where you want it to be, and that's what you run it at, and it does a pretty good job. I realize a lot of people don't have that type of equipment, so you can broadcast. Um, you know, you, you work it down, you firm it up, spread your seed, uh, hair it, pack it, start watering it. And uh, that's where most of your home lawns are done that way yeah. because they don't have that equipment, and that equipment is pretty expensive. Uh, and they make it away with the, they makes it work, and it's, they usually have good success with it. Uh, watering becomes a challenge for, for some. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people think, uh, you know, like you do cool seasons, a lot of times you can get them, keep them a little bit wet, and they'll pop right up and go. Warm seasons are not that away. Um, you have to keep them wet, um, but you don't want them so wet that you make a bog out there with puddles everywhere because then you start running into lots of other issues. 
you start displacing the oxygen in the soil, and then you got real problems. So you want to just keep it moist. I mean, keep it wet on top, dries out a little bit, put some on. You always tell people, you know, water in the beginning, start off water frequently, but very low volumes, just to keep it moist. Mm -hmm. As the Bermuda comes up and starts growing, you reduce the amount of, of uh, waterings, but you water a little bit deeper and kind of follow the roots. Um, I've seen both ways from people too dry, too wet. Um, I tell people that our varieties typically, since uh, it's true to with most of your cold tolerant varieties, that you have to keep them a little wetter because the glooms on the seed, the coverings on the seed are a little bit waxier. So it takes a little more to get them moist. Um, but don't drown them. I mean, that's just, uh, I've, I've seen an instance a few years ago here in, here in uh, Enid that way too much water. And it was it was detrimental to the to the stand. I, th I think they ended up coming out okay, but it uh, you just got to stay on top of it, keep them moist, don't let it dry out, but don't drown it. And the happiness is somewhere in the middle. And you, as the homeowner, will just kind of have to use your best judgment. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it's not you know it's I'd say it's 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 not easy growing in Bermuda grass. But it's also not very difficult if you just kind of pay attention and and uh, keep an eye on it. And everybody does it every day, you know, in the summertime. I mean, Bermuda's planted all over the southern half of the United States and around the world in places. And people get stands with seeded Bermuda grasses. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a doable thing. Sure. Um, in the past, and before we go on into um, broadleaf and grass control and new stands, you know, I think it's imperative to tell people to plan this seeding you know um, the pre-emergence it can be detrimental True. to a new stand correct it's a very good point gerald um i've seen probably as many problems with people with pre-emerge using had previously used pre-emerge uh, pre-emergent herbicides um within recent history of going in and trying to seed the area um experienced a few golf courses that um it wasn't a good scenario. You know, you, you caution them to check the records, double check, triple check. Um, prodiamine is one that's a real challenge because it lasts so long. Um, we'll probably start seeing some with spectacle because it having has seems to have a longer residual. But um, uh, sometimes on golf courses like Simazine, um, products like that, Dimension, um, those have caused created some problems in the past because. Sometimes it's it's really not the fault of the manager because sometimes those those products last longer than they should. Mm -hmm. We've seen that Depending on soil type, seen that on a large on a, on a large planting. Um, I've also seen some where where uh, you know you you caution them to look, they didn't look near close enough, and planted some wouldn't come up, and lo and behold, yeah, there's been some chemicals applied in the last six to eight months that. That uh, it's not it's not the seeds' fault. I mean, mm -hmm. when you put those pre-emergents down, they typically will c control small seeded grassy annuals as their focus. Um, but also, they will control small seeded perennials, and Bermuda grass happens to be in that category, and you're going to get the same result. It's going to it's going to inhibit the germination. So that is one critical thing that prior to you know when you make your plan to change your Bermuda out or whatever, look at the records. If you have to contact, you know, the person that your right. custom applicator, whatever, uh, check those records. And if you have any doubt, um, you can call Gerald at the office and 
telling them, you know, what you applied, when you applied it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what you've been, what's been growing there, uh, soil type helps, things like that. And he can probably get you pretty close um, um, to tell you whether it's a doable deal. And there's always the bioassay, which is yes. if you really don't know, there's a simple way to check to see if you th- that Bermuda grass has a good chance of coming up. So mm-hmm. that's definitely a that's definitely something to you need to consider because a lot of people don't. It will it will cost you nightmares and you know and it's, cost you money and cost you money because you and then you, if you don't have a yard, uh, that's even that's as bad because. Right. It's really not much you can do. Uh, there are ways you can remedy that, but you're not going to like it. It's not cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, you may have to go in and sod the entire area versus where you plan on seed, and you spent the money on the seed, mm-hmm. but then you're going to have to come back and sod it, which is doubling up on, on the expense. Right. So that's something you really need to look at uh, before you really pull the trigger and go with it. John, after, you know, and I know you've received pictures. Um, I do too. Where people have seeded and um, you know I get pictures is this Bermuda what is this and and things like that and um, a lot of times once we do seed it's like an explosion of everything else that was out in the soil can you kind of go over some do's and don'ts uh, addressing some of the broadleaf grass uh, broadleafs and grasses yeah you know if I had a quarter for the calls I get and I've, I've experienced the same things I mean we do we do quite a bit of plantings, obviously, and whether it be wildflowers, whether it be anything, as a matter of fact, it's small seeded or large seeded as far as that goes, especially something that you can't use a pre-emerge on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, things start coming up, you know, and, and you, you've got a big smile on your face. You did the right thing. It all looks good. Pat yourself on the back. You're out there standing in your yard drinking a barley pop, as Gerald would say, and all is good in the world. And you, then one day you, you come home from work and something doesn't look right you see these little mouse-eared shaped leaves popping up mm-hmm. you see some wide-bladed little little uh grasses pale in color which is typically crabgrass panic sets in because you thought you were it was all good and something is invading your kingdom so then you got to figure out what you're going to do and if you think you're alone you're wrong because anybody that plants anything in oklahoma or around about anywhere anymore all right is you're going to have things show up and uh you know the fight is on just be aware that you can even sod and you're going to end up with weeds it's just uh it's just in the soil it's Mm -hmm. no fault of anybody's it's not in the seed uh it's in the soil that that you may not have put there but a lot of that seed can lay there for a long time and uh so basically it's it's up to you to figure out what you're going to do and and uh, you can give us a call, obviously, and we can help you with it. But, uh, you know, it's no time to really panic. I mean, yeah, you're going to panic a little bit, but but there are things you can do. I know people that hand weed. Uh, usually when you get in that point, the weeds are probably pretty big if you can physically pull them out. Um, there are limited herbicides that you, that you can use uh, during establishment. One that's been around for a while, and they've actually improved it. It used to be Drive. Now it's Drive XLR8. Um, that improvement was uh, there was a certain stage in there with Drive that didn't control crabgrass very well, and they've kind of they've kind of fixed that. But it's safe that you could actually apply it after you plant a seed, um, and it'll come up through it, or you can apply it post-emerge. Mm-hmm. 
to put over the top uh, to kill some of that small weeds coming. Um, MSMA used to be pretty safe, but that's been basically taken off the market in most cases except for a few applications. Um, you know, it's I encourage everyone who uses any herbicides or whatever, read the label, forwards, backwards, in and out, do it twice. Uh, there's a lot of information in there. And the reason they put that information in there is to keep from having problems from mm -hmm, happening. Exactly. And they don't want you... They don't want you killing it. I mean, they're selling the product that they know works. They've tried, tried and tested. Uh, you need to understand how it works before you do it. And I, I know there's a lot of people that do their own little spot spraying and things like that, and that's great. That's great that you're self-sufficient. But, uh, you know, I would suggest that uh, if you uh, don't feel comfortable spraying your yard, I mean, you've got a big investment there. If you're not comfortable doing it yourself, don't. Hire someone to do it. In the long run, you'll be better off. I, mean, I, I, you know, I kind of joke once in a while when some people ask me some questions, but, you know, I would suggest if you've never calibrated a sprayer, uh, and especially when I ask you this question and you ask me what's calibrating the sprayer mean, I don't think you should be doing it. You know, um, just because you spray a little Roundup doesn't make you a professional when it comes to it because. It is very, very important that you hit the rate right. Mm -hmm. too, la too little, and you may weaken those plants or harden those plants off where they will not accept the herbicide the next time to fix it. Or if you overdo it, it could be disastrous because you may kill it. And if you put too much down, you can't reseed it. So, And that even goes back into know, knowing the target. That's exactly right. That's huge. Identify the weeds you're trying to take out. Right, right. Um, that's, that's probably number one thing to do mm -hmm. or have somebody help you with identifying mm -hmm. them. Most cases, you know, the weeds you're going to experience, the drive will do a pretty good job on. Maybe not all of them, mm -hmm. but the ones that cause you the most trouble are typically crabgrass because it will choke it out. Now, you can get in some of the nuts, edges, things like that. Maybe not choke on it, be a little unsightly, but but crabgrass and, and, and probably carpet weed or two, that's really, really tough. But don't ever take the adage, use the adage, if a little does a little good, a lot will do a lot good because a lot doesn't do a lot good. A lot can do a lot of harm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, it's, it's, uh, they have a label there for a reason. It's just not put on as much as you want. Um, got a big investment, you know, and you do all the prep work, you put the money in the, in the, in the seed and, uh, you know, and, and of course, I always joke when I did my yard, my wife's patience was running pretty thin. Uh -huh. So you don't want to have to experience that impatience <laughs> twice. Yeah. So, right. you know, and maybe maybe it's the other way around. Maybe maybe it's uh, the wife doing the planting and the husband's doing mm -hmm. the impatient dance over there mm -hmm. and wondering when it's going to turn green. But uh, you see that a lot more all the time. But I would suggest, you know, if you're not familiar with, you're not comfortable, hire somebody to do it. It's money well spent. And there's there's a lot of good ones out there that do that uh, just be selective in who you get and and be comfortable with those people also right but uh you definitely got to put it on right because these these uh these type products are a little unforgiving if you don't if you do a little extra roundup or something it's not the end of the world you do a little too much of this um it will haunt you it, it, it will haunt you for a mm -hmm. long time and i've seen i've seen disasters um i've seen yards where you know well, my brother-in-law is a farmer. He said, I need to apply this. Yard's dead. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, if it was mature Bermuda grass, that might have been a good idea. But it's not. So, you know, it. Uh, do your homework. Do your research. Call us. 
Uh, talk to your extension agents. Uh, there's good information to be had out there to keep you from from uh, from regretting your uh, regretting what you did. Sure. But always, always read the label. Abide by the label. Label. You know, it's there for your safety. Uh, it's it's for your investment that you made. And uh, you know, we got an environment we have to live in. And uh, last but not least, is it is the law that you have to follow the label. That's right. So so keep that in mind. And like I said, we're we're here to provide information if you run into a problem. Uh, with you know, I I don't like I I've, I've I've experienced it a lot, but you know, people plant especially pasture situations, yards. Most people are going to mow it. That's okay. Uh, pasture situations. Uh, I think I got a problem, and and okay, I'll come look at it. You know, we'll see what we got. You get out there, and there's five foot tall pigweeds, crabgrass so thick you can't mm-hmm. can't see the ground, and it's like, I don't think my Bermuda's coming up. Well, I wonder why. Right. You know, uh, it's best to maybe panic a little earlier. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, I guess that's the easiest way to say it, but you know, get some get some help before it gets too late because. You know, in those cases, it's not a lot we can do. We can do. That's true. But give them a little bit early start. We can, a lot of times we can help you out. You bet. John, uh, thank you for being with us today. Um, And I know we went over a lot of stuff here and and we're going to take kind of our script here and and information that John has provided and attach it to um, the Monaco um, on our website so you can kind of go over some of the things that he's talked about it's a lot of useful information um please don't forget to follow and share this uh, podcast Uh, if you have any questions you can call us at 800-375-4613 or contact us by email at johnseed at johnstonseed.com thank you and have a great day